and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. What we're going to be doing this morning is we're looking at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1, one through 4, so just four verses, and this is the first warning in the book of Hebrews. Um, now, as we've gone through the book of Hebrews, we see that this is a very Jewish writer writing to a very Jewish audience, and he's drawing out how Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And in the first chapter, uh, he shared uh, all of Jesus's person and work in very unique ways that come from the Old Testament, and then he shared how uh, Jesus is greater than angelic beings. Okay, so that's kind of where this has gone. And now we're going to get our first warning. And really this first warning is a statement of um, don't be distracted. And so what I was wondering is maybe for you, what are the top two things that distract you in life? That keep your, maybe you know, I was doing well and I was really focused on my walk with Jesus and pursuing my uh, kind of life through him. And then this thing happened and I got really distracted. Um, what are your top two distractions? Yeah? Work. Work, okay, yeah. That can be a very distracting thing. Uh, the first group, um, they, they talked about electronics and um, maybe relationships, yeah. What, anxiety, what kids, right? Uh, social media, right? So, say it again. Health. Health can be a very distracting thing, absolutely. When, we're, when our bodies aren't right, it's really hard to keep our eyes in the right direction. And I was thinking about this, I really, I mean, I just only have two distractions, um, and it's anything and everything, right? Um, and isn't that, the, well, that's the way it goes, right? There's just about anything and everything that could distract us. And uh, for the Jewish people that would have received this letter, Jewish people that had believed in Jesus as the Messiah, this is an important thing for us to recognize, that this letter, and really every letter in the New Testament, is written to a local group of believers. They have placed faith in Jesus Christ. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe that he died on a cross for their sins. They believe that he rose three days later to prove that he was God. They believe that he appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses. They believe that he ascended to heaven. They believe that he then commissioned the church to receive the Holy Spirit and have power to proclaim all of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. This is written to a group of believers. So this is a warning to Christ. Christians, all right? This is a warning to Christians to not be distracted. Now, these particular Jewish believers, their major distraction would have been to fall back into the practices of Judaism. The social pressure was to practice a religion that was more socially acceptable, and Judaism was. Christianity was persecuted by the Roman Empire, but Judaism had a lot of freedom, okay? And so the Jewish people, the 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 pull would have been to fall back into practicing religion the way that they had before and to sort of downgrade Jesus into a nice teacher, a good moral person, something along those lines, and reject his deity and those types of things. So that's the warning that they're receiving here. Let me pray, and then we'll read these verses. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would speak to us today. As Micah said, let your 
words be what I speak today. Uh, This doesn't need to be my opinion or what I think or anything along those lines, God, but allow your word to speak to each and every one of us. I also ask that you would meet each individual where they're at. If someone is here this morning and they need encouragement, allow them to receive encouragement. If there's somebody here this morning and they need a challenge to take another step of faith, that they would receive that challenge. If someone needs your love, that your love would be real to them. If they need to understand your seriousness about sin, that your wrath would be apparent to them. God, be all the things that you are to each of us individually in the moment of need that we have. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So as I said, the first chapter had to do with the supremacy of Christ, uh, his deity, and his work that only he could accomplish, the fact that he is better than angelic beings. And then he says, for this reason, because that's who Jesus is, and that's what Jesus has done, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders and various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. All right, so let's take this piece by piece. He says, for this reason, that reason is the supremacy of Christ. We should pay attention all the more. And that word to pay attention all the more, it's to extreme attention at all times. And what it was used of was like the idea of a ship being brought into harbor, okay? And you have to imagine ships at that point in time, they're either moved by wind or they're moved by oars. There's not some button that you hit for reverse and you can fix any maybe speed issues that you have coming into the harbor. And so this was something that they were saying, when you bring your ship into harbor, you have to pay very close attention to everything so that you arrive with the amount, right amount of speed and you don't crash into the dock, and so that you don't arrive with too little speed and get caught up in the current and drift away from the dock, okay? So that's what that word was used of. And the idea for us spiritually is that we would be paying attention to everything, who Jesus is and what he's done at all times, so that as we steer the ship of life into the harbor that we don't come in with too much speed and crash and we don't come in with too little speed and get caught up and drift away but instead we're paying attention to what God has for each and every one of us as individuals I'm listening to the spirit of God I'm paying attention to the word of God and I'm allowing him to guide me through life right I'm allowing him to captain the ship I'm not actually calling the shots myself I'm allowing him to captain the ship so that I arrive in a way that is right and proper okay that's what he is saying there pay attention all the more and then he says to what we have heard and so what we have heard is this greater revelation of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ as we go through the book of Revelation or no we're not in that book as we go through the book of Hebrews um, what we're going to see is that the, the writer is going to show to us that all of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus okay and so he's going to actually share the gospel through the Old Testament how Jesus is the Christ the Messiah that was long awaited and promised and now that greater revelation has come. It's not about Moses and what he taught anymore. Moses has not been done away with, but Christ has fulfilled what Moses taught. Uh, The prophets were amazing and they shared really important things, but Christ has fulfilled what the prophets were pointing to. And so this greater revelation has shown up in the person and work of Jesus. And so we need to be careful not to drift away. Now that was used uh, to describe a river that flows away from its normal channel. In other words, there's a right and proper way that this normal 
this river normally goes, but it's sort of cutting a channel off course and causing some issues. The word became associated with something slipping from someone's memory. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. You walk into the kitchen, you go, why did I come in here? Um, or whatever the case may be, you're sitting there and you're like, I know that person's name. I can see their face, but I think it starts with a D. I don't, you know, you, it's slipping your memory, right? Or the other idea was a ring falling off of someone's finger, so somebody losing something valuable. And the other way that the word was used was of somebody swallowing in a way that caused choking. So instead of going down uh, into our stomach, it goes down your windpipe and you find yourself choking. That's how this word was used. And so the idea here is don't forget, don't drop it, don't choke. Okay, that's sort of the opening warning that we get. Don't forget who Jesus is, his person and work. Don't drop your faith in him and allow it to get lost. And don't choke on what the world would have you believe, but instead remain united to Jesus. Don't drift away. That's the beginning of this warning. He goes on, he says, for if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect if we neglect such a great salvation. So when he talks about the message spoken through angels being legally binding, this was a reference to the Mosaic law and the penalties for not following it. Uh, Judaism at this point in time, particularly Hellenistic or uh, Judaism that had a Greek influence, believed that uh, Moses received the law from angelic beings, that God used angelic beings to deliver the law and clarifications of the law to Moses. You can find that in the scriptures, but the point here is that the Mosaic law was really clear to the Jewish people. If you obey, you're going to receive blessing, and you'll be a blessing, right? Yeah, that was God's message. If you'll obey, you'll receive blessing, and you'll be a blessing to the nations. If you disobey, you're going to receive discipline, and he's actually going to use the nations to do it, okay? And so that was the message that was given, and he's saying if under the Mosaic law, there was a legal binding system that caused people to receive punishment for transgressions, which was a deviation from the law. So in other words, God's revealed what's right and what's wrong. We know it. It's not really that complicated, but we choose to do something else anyway. That's a transgression. That's a deviation from the law. Disobedience is an unwillingness to hear the law. In other words, someone from God stands up and speaks and they say, God's law regarding this, this, and this is, and you go, don't want to hear it, right? Like we, we stop up our ears and we choose not to listen to God's law. And that's something that we can do as well. And so he's saying if, if people, if a willful deviation or an unwillingness to hear the law caused the Jewish people to receive punishment, how much more are we going to receive discipline if we reject such a great salvation that God has given us through Jesus Christ? So he's saying to believers, Christians, if you believe in Jesus... You've trusted in his death, burial, and resurrection, and you live your life as though that has no impact upon your life, you're going to receive discipline from God, right? That's what he's saying. If you're not willing to live by grace, because we're not under law anymore, but we're under grace, and so it's all about what God gives us and what God has done for us, but if you're not going to live by grace, but you're going to live by self-effort and for your own glory, then you're going to receive discipline for that. Um, and if you're unwilling to hear what God has to say to you, God is so clear on so many things within the scriptures that go against the culture around us. What he has to say about sexuality, what he has to say about money, what he has to say about marriage, what he has to say about parenting. There's so many things that God tells us 
it's just really obvious if you're willing to let his word lead you. But if you're unwilling, then you're going to receive discipline for that as well. That's what's being drawn out here. If Jews under the Mosaic law could be punished for breaking the law, isn't it even worse to neglect or lived unconcerned with the results of salvation and what should be happening in us because of that salvation. That's what he's saying. He's saying it is even worse for a Christian to live as though God's grace were not sufficient for them to be all that God is calling them to be. That's a worse decision than a Jewish person disobeying the Mosaic law and we should be concerned about the results of salvation. In other words, if God has saved me, if I was once his enemy, and now I'm his child. If I was once a rebel, and now I'm a co-heir. If I was once living in darkness, and he's called me into marvelous light. If I was once incapable of representing him or bringing him honor, and now I'm his ambassador, right? All these different things that God has done for us, if I live unconcerned with that, that's not a good decision as a Christian. And he's saying that that's gonna result in discipline. Now, one of the things that we'll find in the book of Hebrews is that different people have read this, read, read this verse and other ones like it, and said, that sounds like you could lose your salvation. That sounds like if I don't choose to follow God, that I'm going to lose my salvation or reject such a great salvation. Does that mean I could lose it? And the answer to the loss of salvation is that Christ, and he makes this really clear in John 10, is that if you are in his hand, you are in his hand, and no one can snatch you away, not even yourself, right? If, if we could lose our salvation, if our salvation was dependent upon our merit and our character, we would be in trouble. But salvation is not dependent upon my merit or my character. It's dependent upon the person and work of Jesus. And because the person and work of Jesus is sufficient to save me, I am always his and I am always saved, right? I cannot lose my salvation because it's not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon God's grace, but I can lose rewards. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the doctrine of rewards. And there's a few places in the scriptures where this is really clear. One is first Corinthians chapter three. Paul says, for no one can lay a foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, judgment. The fire, the judgment, will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire or judgment. So what's he saying? He's saying you and I, as individual Christians who have trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we live our lives, and at the end of our lives, we're upon Christ's return, we will stand before him and he will say, good job for your acts of faithful service. Or he will say, I had rewards laid up for you, but you lost them as you chose to live in a worldly manner rather than in an eternal manner. Okay, And this is, I realize this is an unpopular thing to say, because what God is saying to us is that your choices today, tomorrow, and until he returns or you die are important, and you will be judged based on, and so will I, based upon our choices. Whether we walk in faithful service, trusting him and seeking his kingdom, or whether I live in worldly lust, seeking the things that bring me temporary pleasure rather than the things that bring eternal glory. 
right? That's the question at hand. And Paul talks about it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Not everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, the runner of an of a Olympic or Greek race. We, an imperishable crown. So they do it for something that's going to rust and fade and be destroyed. We do it for something of eternal glory. So I do not run like those who run aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be qualified, disqualified. Think about, this is the Apostle Paul saying this. And he is concerned about losing eternal reward. That's what he's saying. I'm going to run in a way that wins. I'm going to box in a way that defeats the enemy. And I'm going to do it because I want to preach the Lord Jesus Christ and I don't want to lose my eternal reward that God has laid up for me. Now, Christ is the eternal reward in heaven. But we talked about this when we got into the book of Revelation, that when the new heavens and the new earth come down and we have the new Jerusalem that that we live in as uh, believers, at that point in time, we will all experience heaven and the new heaven and the new earth, but we will not all experience it exactly the same. There is different level of rewards. And Jesus talks about this in the parable of the tenants. He says, I gave you 10 and you made 10 more. I gave you five and you made five more. I gave you one and you buried it and did nothing with it. Right? And so what's he talking about? He's talking about what we have been given in this life our time, talent, and treasure, the spiritual gifts that God has given us, the days that we live, the moments that we have, if we use those for eternal glory, we will have a different level of reward in heaven. Now, I'm not talking about layers of heaven or something like that, but there is different levels of roles and responsibilities that will be given within heaven, and those will be given based upon what we did with our days on earth. Okay, That's the reward that he's talking about, and Paul is saying that he doesn't want to be disqualified. Um, my guess is you have a hundred questions about what I just said. Let's take a look at this. This is from Lewis Sperry Schaefer. He says, God offers rewards to the believer as a recognition of whatever faithfulness is shown to him in service. This is the counterpart to all the doctrine of grace. Having saved a soul on the basis of grace so that there is for the Christian no obligation for afterpayment or building of merit, God recognizes an indebtedness on his part to reward believers for their service to him, right? So we are saved by grace. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that saves, and it is a free gift of God. But what we do with our lives is going to receive reward or loss thereof. He goes on, he says, it would be quite easy for a man to say, God has done so much for me, the most I can do in return would be little enough. But what God has accomplished under grace creates no real demand or obligation of repayment, whatever, or else it would not be grace. So in other words, when Christ died on the cross, it might be easier for us to say, look at what he did for me. the, the, The right thing for me to do would be to try to repay him. Well, that is not what the cross is about. If you could have paid it in the first place, he would have let you. But we can't pay it in the first place. And so uh, the salvation that he has purchased for us creates no indebtedness to him because it's grace. It's a gift, 
right? If you give me a birthday gift, I hope you don't expect me to buy the, you the exact same dollar amount in return, right? That's not the point of gift giving. The point of the gift is to bless the other person regardless of their ability to bless you in return. And that's what Christ has done for us, right? However, what does happen to us when we find ourselves in this position of grace and receiving it, it's very difficult not to live a life of thankfulness, it will result in a life of thankfulness. And that life of thankfulness and faithfulness is what God rewards. He goes on, he says, what the believer has achieved for God, he recognizes in faithfulness with rewards at the judgment seat of, of Christ. So when Christ returns and we stand before him as believers, it's going to be an awards banquet that recognizes what each and every one of us has done with our lives. But what is really clear from the scriptures is there will be people sitting there going, I really didn't receive very much. I made it in, but as through fire, right? And what we're gonna see in the book of Hebrews is that he's gonna talk about entering into the rest. God saved two million Jewish people out of Egypt. Guess how many made it to the promised land? They all received salvation, but how many inherited the land? Two. Right? So being saved and having a secure inheritance, maybe not exactly the same thing. Okay? He says, all condemnation in the matter of guilt is forever past for the Christian. In other words, you're not going to stand before God and talk about whether or not you're saved. Uh, he should not come into judgment respecting his sin. Therefore, the judgment seed of Christ for believers deals wholly with the matter of service and not with the question of sin. Schofield says it this way, God in the New Testament scriptures offers to the lost salvation and for the faithful service of the saved rewards. Let me pause right there. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are the lost and he came to find you. He came to get you. He purchased you with his own life so that you could be freed from sin and made his child. Don't be lost anymore. Be found. Allow him to open your eyes and see things for what they are and give you salvation. But if you're a Christian, we need to recognize that the faithful service that we live day by day, moment by moment, will receive rewards. These passages are easily distinguished by remembering that salvation is invariably spoken of as a free gift, while rewards are earned by works. A further distinction is that salvation is a present possession, while rewards are a future attainment to be given at the coming of the Lord. Now, you could hear that and go, it sounds like I get saved by grace, but I live the Christian life by works. No. Absolutely not. And here's how Paul says it in Galatians. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, you know this. Only what I want to learn from you is, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing in what you heard? And it's a rhetorical question. We receive the spirit by believing, not our own works. Are you so foolish after beginning by the spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? And the obvious answer is no. And so what you can't do with the doctrine of rewards, you could do it, but you'd be wrong, is to mistake that it's works-based Christianity. Rewardable works are always flowing from faith in Christ, trust in his word, empowerment by his Holy Spirit, and motivation to see him glorified. That's what God finds rewardable, right? Any self-effort or self-recognition forfeit rewards, 
So if I'm doing it by my own power or for my own notoriety, it will not be rewarded. It's that simple. If it's about me and what I can accomplish in my own strength and I'm doing it so that I look better than you, so that I could be lifted up, that immediately forfeits reward. I'm going to do what I do because I trust Jesus. I believe his word. I'm empowered by his spirit and I long to see him glorified and his name lifted high. Um, I had somebody, let me just say it this way. If you came to this church for 20 years and didn't know my name, I would be okay with that. Not because I don't want relationship with you, but because it's not about the preacher. It's about who he's pointing to. Right? And that's what we want to do with our lives. That's what God finds rewardable. Okay. Moving on from that, we talk about this salvation, uh, this justification and being made right, this sanctification being transformed into Jesus' image, this future glorification that we look forward to had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and is confirmed to us by those who heard him. In other words, Jesus showed up and he proclaimed, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he told people that he was going to be traded, um, that he was going to have a traitor amongst his midst and that that person was going to turn him over to the Jewish authorities and that the Jewish authorities were going to put him to death and that he was going to be crucified for sin and that three days later he was going to rise again. Jesus told them ahead of time what was going to happen. He explained it from the Old Testament and then he did it. He rose from the dead. He appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses over the course of 40 days. He ascended into heaven, commissioned his church, empowered them with his spirit and told us to proclaim what I just told you that that's who Jesus is, that's what Jesus did, right? We had that spoken from him and it was confirmed to us by those who heard, the eyewitnesses who saw these things and recorded them for us. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders and various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. Now, I wanna just take a second and look at this. If you can't find the Trinity in the Bible, you're trying not to, okay? Because he says it was spoken to by the Lord and then God the Father testified by signs and the Holy Spirit gave the church divine enablements. The, the, the Trinity and God's three, three persons, one God, is you have to try not to find it, right? You have to explain it away rather than trust that God is bigger than what you can comprehend and believe him at his word, right? Um, and so it was spoken of by Jesus, the son. It was confirmed by those who heard him, apostolic witness. God, the father poured out signs. Anytime you see signs within the scriptures, they're given to authenticate the messenger. So the messenger shows up and he says, this is God's will. This is what God wants you to do. This is what God is calling you to. And the people go, well, maybe. And then something miraculous happens so that they'll go, well, we should probably pay attention to that person. And that's what happened with Jesus over and over again, right? He said, I am the bread of life. And they're like, prove it. And he goes, I just multiplied a bunch of bread yesterday. Aren't you guys going for this yet? Right? And he did that over and over again. He made a big claim and then he had a sign that proved it to be authentic. Wonders brought attention and amazement to Jesus. They also did it for the apostles. There were wonders that took place in the early church that brought people to go, whoa, what's happening over there? And then various miracles. Miracles are obviously things that are outside of the realm of what we understand to be normal reality and they exhibit the power of God. If you have a God that is too small to exhibit power beyond science, your God is not a God, right? If he's too small to do something miraculous, 
He is not a god. He's just a figment of your imagination. Okay? And then there's this distribution of gifts by the Holy Spirit, divine enablement for the church. Here's another thing that this passage draws out about what, is, what God is calling us to as individual Christians. That each and every one of us who have trusted in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and then the Holy Spirit gives us divine enablements to perform things that we could not otherwise, right? And so there are a list of spiritual gifts multiple places in the, in the scriptures. There are usually speaking gifts and serving gifts is a good way to look at it. And so God has given each and every one of us a manifestation of his glory in a spiritual gift that is or gift mix that is intended to be used for the benefit of his church family and the spreading of his gospel. That's what spiritual gifts are about. They're not about my notoriety. They're not about my self-effort. They're divine enablements that I could never do on my own without the spirit of God leading me in them. And they cause his name to be lifted, not mine. Okay? So that's something to think about. What are your spiritual gifts? How is God calling you to serve in the local church and proclaim the gospel to the world around you? So this first warning, kind of break it down here. Don't lose sight of the person and work of Jesus in history or in your life. And I think this is an important thing to recognize that Jesus is a historical person, the eternal God, born of a virgin, living among us around the first century AD, dying on a Roman cross, raising from the dead three days later, appearing to hundreds of eyewitnesses, ascending to heaven, enabling his church to proclaim the message. He did that in history. But he is also active in my life, and he is active in your life. He is not just a God of history, he is a God of right now. And so, what is he doing in your life right now? I turned 41 in a, in a week or something. And I think about who I was at 19, and boy has God done a lot. He has done a lot. And he is continuing to do more and more. I used to be controlled by my flesh. And as God is guiding me more and more, the flesh has way less control over me. I have my moments that I fall back into it, but I am way less of Kurt and way more of being transformed into Jesus. What's your story? And not only has he changed me from 19 to 41, but he's talking to me this week. He's guiding me today. I pray that he's speaking through me now, right? What's he doing in your life? And then the next part of this warning is get with it. Um, do nothing and you will drift away. Sitting feet up on the table ignores the worthiness of Christ, his calling in life, and forfeits rewards at his return. Lazy couch potato Christianity. Just kind of going through life and hoping it all works out. That is not what God is calling us to. He is calling us to pay attention to him and his son at all times. And then as we pay attention to him and his son at all times, because Jesus is worthy, what calling is he putting in my life? Who is he guiding me to serve? What words are he speaking me, or is he guiding me to speak? What sacrifice of my finances is he calling me to make? What change in the way that I use my time is he guiding me in? Like, what is God telling me right now, and where is he guiding me today? 
And if I'm not willing to look at the worthiness of Christ and his calling in my life, I'm making, you're making, we're making a conscious decision to forfeit rewards upon his return. Okay, that's important to recognize. And the next question, is Jesus the aim of your life? If Jesus gave you a report card, what kind of grade would you get in the following subjects? So if you got a quarterly report card and he said, you get a whatever in paying attention to his person and work. Don't do this to somebody else. You, we don't, I'm not going to give you a grade. You're not going to give me a grade. I'm going to talk to God and say, God, what grade would you give me here? You know, is it, is it an A plus? Is it a C minus? Is it an utter failure? Where am I on this, God? Am I living concerned with the results of the salvation that you've given me? Am I striving to see the change that you are making in me day by day? Am I remaining united to you, Jesus, and not drifting away? What kind of grade would I get? And then the other thing here is finish well. How you start the race is not as important as you finish. And I want to close you with these verses from Philippians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. In other words, I'm not fully mature. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I want him and his reward. Therefore, let all of us who have a mature, who are mature, think this way. If you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. What a great phrase. I don't know how much you know about Jesus, but strive to allow him to guide you to live up to the truth that you know and want more truth. Join me, or join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, by, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their, go- their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. That's a good definition of drifting. My, their God is their appetite, their flesh, their glory is their shame, their own notoriety instead of God's, and they are focused on earthly things. If we're honest with ourselves, we probably all did this in the last week. Thankfully, God is a God of grace and longs to guide us forward. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me close us with a word of prayer. Father, I do pray that you would show to each and every one of us what we need in this moment. For those who have not made a decision to follow your son Jesus as their Lord and Savior, to believe that his death on a cross paid for their sin and his resurrection from the dead gives them new life, that today would be the day that they trust in your son Jesus Christ and receive salvation and be made right in your eyes. God, I also pray for those of us who are just beginning this journey that you would guide us to live up to the truth that we have and to desire more truth, to engage in conversations with fellow believers around your word, to allow your Holy Spirit to guide us moment by moment, and that you would transform our minds so that our lives would begin to mirror that of your sons. God, I pray for those who are maybe running the race for quite a while here and the distractions are mounting, that you would get their eyes off of those distractions and onto you. 
be it something that makes them anxious, be it something that is pulling in their flesh, be it something that is uh, anything that would guide us away from your son, God, to just remove that and put our eyes back on you. I pray that you would bring a sense of revival, of renewed life to each and every one of us, and that we would proclaim this message as we go about our days in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.